and welcome to this week's Liberate Your Soul podcast. We have the amazing interview with, I know, another interview. I am on it. I'm telling you, I am going to become a millionaire by the end of this year, ladies. I promise you that. Right. So we have Sue Bowles. She is a survivor turned author, speaker, and master certified life coach. She is the owner of My Step Ahead, committed to breaking the stigma around mental health struggles. She says, you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. She helps stuck people get unstuck by discovering hope, journeying together for the step, next step ahead. Whether she's speaking on a podcast or being making herself available on stage, Sue's enthusiasm is contagious, shining the light of hope wherever the listener needs, cheering them to see their dreams and become present in reality. I absolutely loved in I just the, the, the chat with Sue, I can't get my words out today. My chat with Sue was so powering. It really, really was. It was empowering and it was also powering. She has this tone in her voice that's so relaxing and reminded me of Dr. Wayne Dyer. And I was just so privileged to have all these people reply to my ad about coming on the podcast to have interviews with me and for us to share these amazing experiences with you. And she speaks so deeply and so truthfully, you will absolutely love it. So if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, if you have had the horrendous incident of being raped, um, or you feel that something has happened to you that has completely broken you down and you are finding a way to get out of it, please make sure you seek help as well as reaching out to the people I bring forward to you. The link for Sue is in the bio if you wish to reach out to her and she's got lots of goodies on her website. I wish you many blessings. Enjoy the podcast. Can you hear me? Hi, Sue. You okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me okay now? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, 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 okay. I, 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 I had to choose a different uh, microphone when I logged in. So, and then I, I went ahead and logged into my Anchor account as well, just to make sure there were no other issues. Oh, bless you. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it's good that you're familiar with Anchor, isn't it? Are, are you finding it going well for yourself? Yeah, I, I I got Anchor last year when I started doing, you know, being on podcasts. Mm. That's really all I use it for. I, I I I don't have a podcast myself, so. No. Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, here we are, Sue. Amazingly. Thank you so much for talking to us this week. And as we um, have already done the intro, your number one speciality is working with mental health. So, Mental health, as far as you and I are concerned, as we work within the industry and we help and serve people, means so many different things. But there's such a stigma attached to the word, especially here in the UK. Can I ask the people and clients that you serve, how, does, how do they feel within themselves having a mental health problem within the workplace? Uh I, sometimes I don't know that they would call it a mental health issue. I, mm. you know, and, and I say that because you know, when you think mental health, you're, you're thinking some kind of diagnosis. Yes. But, but if you think mental health in terms of just the health of your mind, 
then it, it, it stems so much, it, it branches so much wider because the health of your mind can relate to how you communicate with someone or yeah. how, how you handle stress or what are your stressors? How are your boundaries? So, you know, in terms of people in the workplace, I don't know that they would call it a mental health issue. They call it life challenges, life mm -hmm. struggles. But, you know, again, when you think of mental health as the health of your mind, then you know, it, it, it all encompasses the same thing. Definitely. And it's so lovely to hear that here in the UK, it is such a massive stigma. And a lot of people, exactly like you say, they say it's a diagnosis. They're diagnosing children from as young as five years old here with learning difficulties and then that means that they have a special report and they have to go to a special school and I've noticed working within the education sector for a while now I've noticed that you know it is it is worldwide how do you feel with what's happened with the pandemic how do you feel the children have adapted and how do you feel their future is going to be affected within their mental health as, as time goes on? That's a good question. And, and I know, I think it's too early to really know the far reaching effects of it. I think, yeah. I think right now the isolation, the, yeah. the uncertainty of being able to play a sport, the uncertainty of being able to attend a club meeting or do drama or, mm -hmm. or be, be, you know, do a concert as, as, as a choir or anything, or as marching band. I think the, aspects of identity for teens is in danger right now because teens identify themselves as what they do and, and what organization they are part of and what group of friends they hang out with. That is the identity for a teen. So when you have the regular biology and, and life adjustments and life changes happening in, the, in those teen years, those adolescent years, and you, and you have puberty and everything going on, and then you add in it that the one source of identity someone has is being taken from them and they lose a sense of control that they were just trying to figure out how to have, I think that it's going to have some more challenges. At the same time, I think if we stay ahead of it, we can help those challenges and bring the rubber band back to center. And, and I think some of that has to do with, you know, you've, over here in the States, they have a lot of, lot of, of uh, schools doing what they call hybrid learning, where they're in the class a couple times a week, they're online a couple times a week, and they kind of alternate around. Uh, I think that any kind of effort that can be done to return students to the classroom in a healthy way in some degree, so that they have that social interaction will go a long way. All of us across the world are already glued to our devices and we're mm -hmm. used to looking down and we mm -hmm. don't know how to have conversations. No. We know how to send a text. We don't know how to have a conversation. And I think that aspect of things is, is degrading all the more when you are limited to online learning. And, and I really hope and pray that 2021 allows some of these things to come back to center a little bit, but we're going to have a lot of catching up to do with basic life skills of communication. Uh, I couldn't agree with you anymore. So it's at, you've absolutely said everything I've been ranting about all weekend. And even though I've been going through my own spiritual keys of life, uh, not to react and 
try and keep calm before giving an opinion. Um, we've really suffered badly this weekend with my 11-year-old who literally had a breakdown on Friday. Mm-hmm. She literally said, I cannot be taking another lesson online again, mum. Please don't let me do it all mm-hmm. again next week. Mm-hmm. And um, I, because she's so much um, more academic than her older sister you just assume she's got on with it and to think that we've all just gone to work and her older sister's been here and they've been supporting each other which is amazing she is an 11 year old girl and she's going through puberty and her hormones are everywhere as it is so I have taken the action of taking her out because it is far too much Mm -hmm. and I noticed, I said to her dad, I said, have you noticed now she's taken the laptop up to her room now? She's isolated herself completely. So absolutely, we've put a stop to it and I'll give her some healing tonight. And we're very spiritual in this house as it is, because of course, when we're negative, negative energy comes in. And when you're a teenager, as we well know, it just creeps in, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And completely can completely destroy you. So it's amazing what you said. That's it's beautiful because not many people are saying it. Why through your expertise and, and the history of you working with people, What's your number one? Uh, what's your number one sort of angle that you see people? Your sort of prediction, as it were, when somebody walks through the door, you can say, "Yep, yeah, I know exactly why you're feeling this way." What is the most common um, thing that people suffer with the most? Do you feel? Well, I I, I hope I never, uh, and I don't like using such extreme words, but I hope when someone comes to me that I don't prejudge them based on a two minute conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not going to know why they're feeling something. I, I may be able to better understand it as they share mm-hmm. more things, but you know, I'm not in their stories. So I'll never fully know. I can empathize. I can try to relate. I can have a better understanding. Having said that, um, I, I think, you know, in terms of an angle or whatever words you want to use, my approach to working with people is, first of all, just to listen, to ask them a few questions, ask them, you know, what is going on? Tell me some more about that. And, and, and just try to dig in and, and listen to every bit that they're willing to put out there. Because when people come to the point of wanting to talk to a life coach or a counselor, they want to be heard. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's my primary responsibility is to listen. And then yeah. from there, because it, I, I tell my clients that what they share with me in a coaching session is, is sacred. It's sacred territory because they may be telling me things that they haven't told anybody else. And, and, Absolutely. and, and I don't take that for granted. And I don't take that lightly. That is a sacred no. trust. And I will not defy that or, or, or do anything intentionally to damage it. So, mm-hmm. you know, so what I want to do is I want this client to just, be comfortable sharing with me what they're willing to share. And then we, and then mm. we go from there. So a lot of it is just listening and asking a couple questions. And then you know, the, 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 the couple things that I, that I continue to, to share and introduce and reinforce is that it's okay to not be okay. And that no yeah. one is too far gone, that you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. And I say that because everyone wants to be able to help someone else. And there are times yeah. where we feel like we're too screwed up. we got too much going on. We can't help anybody else. And, and we take this blanket situation and apply it to one, to one incident of something that's going on now. And 
in actuality, because there might be a struggle in one place, does not disqualify you or, or mean that you aren't capable of helping in something else. Our lives are, 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 are intersected and yet they're segmented. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I can struggle in one area and be working on that area. But if another area is, is okay for me, then I can still help somebody else behind me. So those are the two things I try to introduce early on is that it's okay to not be okay. Because again, as you talked about, there's a huge stigma and that stigma is not only in the UK. That stigma is everywhere. That's why I'm a mental health speaker is to help break that stigma. So you have the stigma, but then, you, so I want to break that down and it's okay to not be okay. Then I also mm -hmm. want to help encourage and equip them to realize that they can still offer people something that they have to give while they work on themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, lending a handout to somebody else as well, because we are, we all suffer with things more or less, you know, we all suffer with the same things sometimes, a majority of us, but then it's the way we react to them. And exactly like you've just said, okay, so I've been through that and I can, I can help you because X, Y, Z. And it's, it's about un, sort of breaking down the layers and exactly that, being kind um, and being open and open about yourself. Like you say, when you have your clients and they, they start talking to you, you know, don't you? You know that they have found it so difficult. Um, but because they feel so calm and safe, they're able to open up and it is sacred absolutely and the space is sacred that they're speaking in and it is such a it must be such an amazing thing to have that especially when you have these breakthroughs that when you do your talks and you see your clients prosper and and grow and that they've they've broken out of it but everybody suffers with these situations. And I find it so sad, Sue. I don't know whether you'd agree with me that so much. I realized all of us need help, but some people just don't want to reach out. Do you think it's because it's just not their time or they're just not ready? Or That's a good question. And, and for a while there, I was the same way. Years, years, mm. years ago before I did, did all the hard work of healing, um, you know, I was the stigma, the, the what's everybody going to think about me, all those things. Mm. And the other aspect of it was the fear. Am I, oh, yeah. am I comfortable enough that I can still manage this a little longer? And, and, and mm. for me, I got to the point, I told my counselor years ago that I had come to the point that a meaningful level of tolerable existence was no longer an option for me. And, and, and that was a driving source for me. You know, a, a meaningful level of tolerable existence was no longer an option. I wanted something more. And, and when, when things got hard in counseling, I kept coming back to that because I wanted something more for my life. But and honestly, until a client gets to that point, you know, there, there's, there's a quote, and I don't remember who it's by right now, but it says, people will not change until the pain to change is less than the pain to remain the same. That's beautiful. And, and, and yeah. until somebody gets to that point where they're willing to do whatever it takes to get to yeah. the other side of the healing mountain, um, you know, you you get in, you get out what you put in. 
But that's one thing I, I share when I speak is that there's no way around the healing mountain. You have to go through it. Absolutely. And let's talk about this healing process. I couldn't agree with you more that it is a mountain and we go through it for years um, and we try and find our way. And it, it, exactly that I was listening to Bob Proxer the other the other day and he said, you know, everybody, the, the biggest killer of the human race is arrogance. And I even have a friend who has moved into a new house and I I use her as an example. Um, and, you know, I've even I've asked for her um, sort of opinion on it. And she totally agrees because everything she's always done. So has always been a repetition. So even though they've moved into this new house, she's got a new car. They're still the same people. So the same problems have carried on. And so her mental health has deteriorated due to these problems that were already there in the first place. She's just put them in a new surroundings. You know, how do we exactly that? How do we help people that are going and not realizing that they need to go through this healing process? They need to go through this, this pain. I mean, how do we highlight this, that it, it is OK and it's a process to go through? Wow, that's a good question. Um, and. I think the best thing we can do, there's two aspects of it. First of all, is realize that we can't make anybody want healing. So, no. you know, so having that understanding, the next aspect of that is that at the same time, we can continue to encourage people in their, in, in, in yes. their, in their journey. And, and that yeah. comes to having a strong relationship where you can love somebody mm -hmm. enough to put it on the line sometimes and other times where you know that you have that tender spot in that relationship where you can express concern in a loving, non-condemning way and just gently urge someone to take half an inch step in that direction just to plant the seeds because ultimately it has to be that person's decision. But for me, for me, I had a number of people over the course of years continue to tell me in, in the middle of everything that it was going to be okay. You know, and, and just, just mm -hmm. that reinforcement, just that, you know, I know it's hard right now, but you're doing great. I'm seeing change. I'm seeing you work so hard. And, and that, that just really helped because I, I found people who accepted me, who loved me for who I was and didn't try to change mm -hmm. me. And those are the type of relationships we need that gently urge somebody on their path when they realize that they're actually experiencing that I don't have to have it all together, that this person knows me even when I feel like a big screw up and they still like me and they want to be with me no matter what I do. Those are, those are the ones mm. that when that time comes, that's the person they're going to lean on. And they're going to trust with, okay, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And then when that door is open, there you go. There's your time. Yeah. And it's helping people understand that they are worth it. Because I found, I don't know whether you were the same, Sue. I found when I was going through my very dark phase of spiritual awakening and 
egotistic values and I was going and was in a really dark space and I isolated myself and nothing was ever good you know when you looked at other people it was oh that's because they've got this and that's because they've got that and just completely ruining yourself when you start to understand about love and being open that you are worth it it is okay you I found myself just totally calming down and being able to have conversations again with people. Did you notice the difference in yourself with that as you was going through that healing process? Did you feel something lift? Yes. Uh, and and it, it got to, it, it happened after I finally started realizing that God loves me and his kids love me yeah. too. Because at, yeah. at, 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 when I really started spiraling, I had actually the enemy had convinced me that I was too screwed up and too far gone. So it's, it's what I call, I had, I defined myself as the holy exception. Everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else, but me, because I was, I was you, too yeah. screwed up, too far gone. I was taking yeah. up space and biding time. That's, that's the condition yeah. I was in just six years ago. And as yeah. I came, for me, I came across a, a retreat community over here in the States called Walking Stick Retreats. And that community loved me and accepted me. And when I realized that I was lovable and I didn't have to wear a mask around these people, I didn't have to fake it till I make it around these people, that that helped me start realizing that I don't have to take the energy into putting on a facade and to making people think I'm something that I'm not. And I can start accepting that maybe, maybe I am, you know, maybe somebody does love me. Maybe I'm not as screwed up as I think. And when I finally got to the point of accepting that I am lovable, that is when things started to change. Yeah. And how wonderful that must have been and so peaceful for you as well, just to, it's such an uplifting time, isn't it? When we realize, actually, I, I don't mind you. I don't mind spending time with mm -hmm. me, you know? Um, so let's, re let, let's sort of go back. And what would be your first, what would be your first moment that you realized I have got to change? You've said the most amazing words and I could write this script over again with the quotes that you've put out. Um, but what would be, what was your moment in the darkest time that you realized that's it, that, that enough is enough? What made you think wow. like that? Um, for me, it was back in 1991. Um, my parents were divorcing after 34 years of marriage. I, I was imploding mm. and I was suicidal. And mm. I, I, I went on a uh, ski trip with some friends of a, of a big Christian sports camp that I, that I worked at. And there was a Christian musician named Billy Sprague uh, who was there. And we had lost touch and reestablished contact. He had lost his fiance um, in a car wreck you know, a couple of years prior. And he was suicidal at that point. So I was, I was pretty, pretty daggone desperate. So I, I talked to him mm. and, and I said, Billy, how do you go on living when all you want to do is die? And that's the point I was at. There were two things keeping me alive. The first was a, what I call a nagging optimism. There was something 
that was not letting me go, that was gonna, that was telling me it was gonna be okay. And, and I identify that as my relationship with Jesus Christ. The second thing was that I was rational, rational enough to know that my family didn't need to go to my funeral in the middle of the divorce. Those were the only two things keeping me around. And when I reached out to Billy and, and felt that release and that relief of finally letting someone into my hell in my brain, that's when I started realizing, okay, it still took another six months for my heart to start to thaw. But when I took that first step, when I reached out, when I let somebody else in, that is when things started to change for me because then I realized that I am not okay. And, and, and if I'm going to make it, I cannot do this on my own. I have to have somebody else help me. Yeah. And I don't think any of us mm -hmm. can do it on our own, you yep. know. Um, and this is why, you know, people like ourselves, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I, it doesn't matter how we start exactly what you said at the beginning and what your mission with who you are is you only have to be one step ahead please you know reach out to the person behind you and it's that that will bring these changes so this was your calling this was your change and so how you're saying it took you six years for that healing process and what processes did you go through did you find um, that you would have conversations with God or Jesus or would you have conversations with yourself or you would write or you would meditate what what how did your process go over the, that time because sorry just going on but people think don't they Sue that it happens overnight oh I've done that now I've, 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 I've done that. I, I can do this. Yeah, that's fine. I'm fine. I've been to a couple of yoga classes and I've rode my bike. I've got some fresh air. I'm fine. And it's like, no, you know, I'm 36. It took me 12, 15 years. And I didn't realize, Sue, how long it had taken me. I don't know whether you can relate until I was better. You know, I started laughing again. You know, I didn't mind being around people again. I wanted to go out. It just happens, you know. Uh, how how did you feel and how did that process go? Uh, yeah, I think you make a good point, Vanessa, is that it, it's not an overnight success story. It, it's, it's not going to happen mm. overnight because if you think about it, we didn't get to that point of needing help overnight either. And, and, and it, it no. takes a long time. It took a long time to get there. It's going to take some time to, to unpack it and get through it. For me, I was in counseling off and on all the way since college. I was a very troubled college kid and so, and I was in counseling and then, you know, then in and out. But for me, I didn't really, um, I went through, through a, a number of years where I was out of counseling, seemed like everything was fine. And then in 2008, I had a friend, 2005, I had a friend pass away. Three years after the fact, I was still grieving her as if it was yesterday. And I, I'm in recovery for an eating disorder and my red flags of an eating disorder started coming back up. So I was connected with a, with a Christian counselor named Amanda Washell and she is with Grace Recovery Counseling out of South Carolina. And um, I have been with her since 2008. So we're going on 13 years here. And through that, that was the first time 
out of all the counseling I've been in where I felt like I was really making headway because she, she is skilled, but I was also to the point of, I, I, I'm not going to do this again. I thought I was okay and I'm not, and I've got to get this under control because my eating disorder was raging. I was not at a healthy weight. I was not doing well at all. So over the course of those, you know, these 13 years, which Amanda has taken me places I didn't know I needed to go. But what, what really, that was fantastic as, as it was. And we started with that. We actually started in the present before we went to the past. Because, because she said we had to yeah. get me stronger in the present before we could deal with the past. Because I had a lot of boundary issues. I had a lot of relationship issues in the current that were adding to things. And until you find some peace in your everyday life, you're not going to have the strength and, and the fortitude and the peace to then start digging to the bigger issues that are causing the surface issues. So we kind of we had, had, had to whittle away. For me, when I talked about it's been six years now, that happened through the Walking Stick Retreats ministry. In 2014, there was a movie that came out called Ragamuffin, which was based on the, on the life of the late Rich Mullins, who was a Christian musician toward the world. Um, if you're familiar with a song called Awesome God, Rich, that, that's, that's Rich. He wrote that song. And um, I attended the retreat. After I saw the movie, they did a retreat that spring, that summer. And we talked about authentic living, being authentic, not wearing masks, uh, the love of God, and you know those those type of things, being you know reckless faith, and that's where I, I walked into that retreat desperate, and I calling myself the holy exception, and I left there three days later, saying that Jesus Christ is absolutely crazy about me. And it took a long time for that to sink into what that really meant. But I could at least start allowing myself to think that. And it's very quick for me, very important for me to say there's nothing magical about these retreats. It is the atmosphere the people, yes. the team set. Because they set an atmosphere of love and acceptance and non-judgmentalism. And they get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do his work. That is why there's such power. Mm -hmm. So oh, I've attended at least one retreat every year since then with this group. And that is where most of my healing has happened because I was around people that dared enough to love me and that I dared enough to trust them. And, and that, is, that is where the healing took place for me. A lot of it started with realizing that I was lovable. That was the first thing. And I had to own my story. I didn't like my story. I was in denial about my story. So for me, the first path of the healing journey was owning my story. And that alone is a big pill to swallow because you have, for me, I'm a childhood rape survivor. I, I was raped by a classmate mm -hmm. when I was seven and I didn't tell anyone until I was 22. So, and I had not dealt with yeah. it until 26, 2014 and 2016 with Amanda. So that there's decades between the event and when I'm dealing with it. And you know, I, I, had, to go, I had to own that. And I didn't like that because then it brought up all these emotions that I was trying to avoid. And that's why I had an eating disorder. So it was one really big bowl of spaghetti we had to untangle. So I owned my story. Mm. And then I had to realize that I was lovable and that I had something to offer and, and that, that there's a purpose for my life. And, and it, it doesn't happen overnight because I wasn't buying it. Remember, I was the holy exception. I, everything was, was good enough for everybody else but me.
And now here I am six mm. years later doing podcasts and life coach and presenting at conferences and doing, you know, global summits on the internet and everything. Um, all because I dared to trust that somebody loved me and I let them in. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I also remember journaling um, in early 2014 when I'd gone through this other dark cycle well, really, I wasn't healed. Like you say, you know, you wasn't healed. And you just went through all these times of pretending that you mm -hmm. were okay, but you weren't. And I remember journaling when I've looked back at books as well, about there is no such thing as God, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. And you can see it written. And only recently, because of meditations that I've done and further healing that I've taken, Sue, do I understand how you can just, your physical self can just mm -hmm. shut that that spiritual uh, gateway uh, and it was it, I, I closed it so tight and I just want to highlight to our listeners as well that this isn't preaching about the God Almighty which also comes with a stigma um, you know when I work with spirit and I work with healing and I'm, I'm talking to people as they've asked me questions I've, I used to stumble across the word God or Jesus or Mother Mary you know and you know I also find myself saying to people oh you know whatever you believe it's okay isn't it it's okay to use these words I, I, I appreciate what you said as well Vanessa about um, about about journaling I, I did journal I still journal um, in the middle of all the healing I ended up starting to write a book and, and, it, and it, it took one yeah. angle and then it became something else and it morphed into sharing my story and the, the, the book is called This mm. Much I Know, The Space Between. It's available on Amazon and Kindle. You can get it over there in the UK. And um, the first half shares my story. And then the second half yeah. talks about the healing journey. And, and, and the concept behind the title, This Much I Know, all of us have a story. We may not like our story. Yeah. It might be like me in denial about your story for a long time. But this much I know is my story because no one can take our story from us. That's the one thing no one can take because it is your story. So that's the first half. The yeah. second half, the space between, talks about that healing journey. Talks about the space between being wounded and having scars. And I say that because wounds yeah. obviously bleed. And when we're wounded and we have and we have hurts, we're bleeding. That healing journey, and here's the thing, when they're big wounds, we try to put a Band-Aid on them when they really need stitches to heal from the inside out. So if, think, think of you know, when, you, when you have a wound, think of, 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 of a, a very painful time in your life where you were hurt. You can't put a Band-Aid on that, and we try. And it's not until you take the Band-Aid off and really let the healing happen at the level it needs to that the healing happens. And when that healing happens, you know, when you, when you cut your arm or your finger, you put a bandana on and then the skin starts to heal and everything, then you have a scar. And I think we're ashamed of our scars and we really shouldn't be because scars are signs of hope and that healing can happen. So the space between talks about that healing journey to go from woundedness to healing to scars. And that realizing that a scar is a beautiful thing because it has a story behind it that can encourage someone else. 
yeah and that's that's exactly that it's just such a peaceful peaceful feeling it's such a lovely feeling and you know understanding where where your uh, beliefs and your emotions and your love lies with who and I'm the same as you for me that is that is with God and that that lies with spirit because it is just so there's no exactly that there is no judgment there is no and that the messages that come from that are so insightful especially you know come when you're meditating and when you're journaling it and and did you find that those practices really helped you through your journaling your especially phase? for a, for a long time my my yeah. uh, counselor would give me homework each week and usually had to do something with with journaling once in a while with something else uh, yeah I, I i write about it in the book the hardest and yet the best homework she ever gave me was the turning point for me in dealing with my rape and that was for ten for a week, ten times a day, out loud, look at myself in the mirror and verbally tell myself the rape was not my fault. And those were very hard words to mm. get out of my mouth because I wasn't buying it. And at first it was the rape was not my fault. And just very, very dispassionate, very yeah. non-emotional. Yeah, took it off the Tick list. Took it off the list. And then after yeah. about two days, two or three days, it suddenly becoming became more emphatic the rape was not my fault the rape was not my fault mm -hmm. and and putting emphasis on different words and I started to believe it and by the end of the week it was rolling off my tongue and sure enough my next session she had me say it to her about three times it was a little awkward to start with but it just kept coming out and I know now without a shadow of a doubt that the only person who did something wrong that day was Bobby and the rape was not my fault. Yeah. And, and I want, I'm going to say this real quick, Vanessa. Yeah. For anyone listening, if that is part of your story, please hear me. The rape, the assault, the abuse is not your fault. You are worthy. You are lovely. You are lovable. Don't buy the lie. No, absolutely absolutely amazing and I was the same it took me a long time to accept that and to say that out loud and with that Sue um, this podcast for those that are hearing this is just absolutely immeasurably valuable so I will definitely be listening to this all next week because it is just so invaluable I cannot thank you enough for giving us your time and coming on the podcast for this week's episode, Sue. Thank you I so much. I appreciate the time. So Thank much. you so much, Vanessa. And where can they find you online? And you've already mentioned about your book. Have you got anything going else going on? Oh, I have all kinds of things going you? on. <laughs> the best way to get me is at <laughs> suebowls.com. It's S-U-E-B-O-W-L-E-S.com. And actually, if you go to that website and go to suebowls.com, forward slash offer i have a, i have a a, a a a free pdf that i send out uh so if you'd like to get that sign up for that that'd be great that'd be great then i also have what i call a, a weekly hump day help it's something i send out on wednesdays just a little text encouragement real short text just to encourage people along the way i am on social media i'm on facebook as sue Bowles coaching and then also my step ahead you talked earlier about 
to, you know, grabbing the hand of somebody behind you. My, 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 everything is under my step ahead. And the whole concept, as I mentioned earlier, you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you, is that as I reach back to help the person behind me, I'm still reaching forward so that I can still get help to take my next step. And we form, we form a human chain of support. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter is my step ahead. I've got Sue Bowles coaching on Facebook, SueBowles.com, and then MyStepAhead.com. So I'm sure you're going to have all that in the show notes. Uh, you've got a link to the book as well. That's on Amazon and Kindle. This much I know, the space between. Uh, so they'll find me. <laughs> they will. And I'll definitely Thanks. be purchasing that book for this month's read. Sue, you're absolutely amazing, darling. Thank you so much. Right, thanks Take for care now and stay, stay safe. safe. Bye.